Hello, Matthew Grant here, and welcome to another episode, and hello in particular this week if you are listening to us whilst pushing a pram. Thanks, Adam, for your support. It's been tremendous to see so many of you here in the UK and coming in from overseas to join us for our evening events, dinners, or just grabbing a coffee or a drink in the city. And we're delighted to have heard from so many of you recently telling us that you are listening. Certainly keeps me on my toes when you quote back something that we discussed in a previous episode. Anyway, I get a break this week and Robin's behind the microphone talking to Elizabeth Jenkins, CEO of Nimbler. Now, this is a great story. Nimbler was founded in 2016 and according to our friends at PitchBook, has raised over 14 million pounds or 18 million US dollars. The company is offering credit insurance and as you are here, Elizabeth has left the world of established insurance organizations to join Nimbler two years ago. Now, Nimbler is one of many fascinating companies that we are working with at Instec, and we are delighted to have the support of Elizabeth and her team as a corporate member. If you are working for an insurer and want to know how to tap into the knowledge that we gain from talking to 300 companies a month, or you're a company with analytics and technology that the world should know about, then please do contact Robin Mertens or me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or any of us, hello at instec.co. And yes, you heard that correctly. Instec London is now just Instec, reflecting our global coverage of these days. We're still based in London, but if you are listening to this from the UK, you are now in the minority. So, adieu, avadici, ciao for now, and here's Robin and Elizabeth. Today we've got with us Elizabeth Jenkin. She's the CEO of Nimbler. Uh, Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, first thing I have to ask you is, how's the cat? Because we had to re we had to reorganise this one when the cat got savage. Is he he or she back up and running? Thank you very much for asking. Yes, Mr. Pickles is feeling a lot better. Thank you. He um he's a quite a small cat and he appears to take on much bigger competition and uh, generally ends up losing and so does my wallet. But other than that, he's fine. Thank you. <laughs> I know the feeling because our dog was lying sort of prone last night with blood coming out of its mouth. And there was sort of immediate panic. So he was rushed off the vet where the um, diagnosis has been that he's bitten his own tongue. Uh, ah. And that has cost me 750 quid. So, um, Ooh, ouch. I know the feeling well. I'm sure there's insurance for that sort of thing. There is. And of course, I've got it. <laughs> uh, now, look, we're going to talk about um, Nimbler, where you, where you work. But before we even get into that, I, I'd like to know a little bit more about uh, you. And I see that um, from your LinkedIn profile, you've been a long time insurance broker, like 20 years in insurance broking, mostly of that well, that was with Aon, but, but a little bit with RIP at the end, with mm-hmm. a strategy role. Um, we always ask people this because I'm always intrigued. How on earth did you end up in insurance? Was it a, was it a kind of I must be an insurance choice? <laughs> no, I've never met anybody who, who said that. Um, no, really? I, I actually started my insurance career in customer services. So I was working, running a customer services team um, for a monoline insurer and um, I've all, that's always stayed with me because the voice of the customer is so important in what we do um, that they are basically paying for everything that we do at the end of the day. And um, I, I loved my time there because I like solving problems. And uh, although insurance isn't something that necessarily people um, want to talk about or love, I have a, a strong 
belief that insurance is incredibly important. And when you look at it on a global scale, you know, it can rebuild communities and rebuild lives um, in the event of catastrophe. And I, I think often insurance does itself a disservice talking about itself in the way that it does. Uh, it, it really is an enormous enabler in the event of, of catastrophe. So I'm a big fan of it. No, I agree. We, we, we don't um, we don't publicize or promote how much we help the world and the economy and business. But, um, and that's been a, that's been an issue for quite a long um, time now. But anyway, we, we can't fix that uh, for now. So then after 20 years there, you you went to a startup. Now, had you always got a sort of entrepreneurial zeal that you were looking to kind of uh, exercise or, or was there something up, you know, that you saw there that you really fancied? Yeah, there was something that I, I really liked about Nimbler. The product is fantastic. And when you're looking at InsurTech, the product has got to be outstanding. Otherwise, it's not going to have longevity. And then when you meet Fleming, as you have done, Robin, he's very compelling in the way that he tells the story of, of how he's going to take on the, the trade credit world and the risk world and the technology world. And, um, yeah, I was kind of hooked after an hour long conversation with him and thought, yeah, I can make a difference here. I can I can really help with my knowledge of trade credit, with my knowledge of the market and a a bit of a knowledge of tech, uh, not technology that I could bring to the team. Uh, I also, when you're looking to scale a business, I know what scaled businesses look like. So I'm able to bring in that experience about what operations should look like, target operating models, um, sales for implementing Salesforce for our sins, all of that kind of thing, which will um, enable us to scale in a way that builds really strong foundations for the future. It's all about what you build on and it's got to be solid. So when I hear you talk, and it seems to me incredibly obvious what you would bring to a business like Nimbler, and we share your uh, enthusiasm for, for Fleming. But I'm intrigued as to why so few experienced um, insurance professionals uh, like yourself take the take the leap. There's there's really very few who've walked out of insurance after 20 years to help a startup. But wh- why do you think that is? Well, um, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, it's really hard work to go from uh, a job that I was in, which was much more sort of high level strategy, if you like, to go down and, and really, really getting involved in the weeds and what, what people might describe as menial tasks. It's quite a big shift. Um, and I have to say, I struggled with it sometimes because it's not my sweet spot. But in order to build the company, you've got to have a belief in the product. You've got to have a belief in what you're building. Um, so you, so you kind of suck up the more menial bit, knowing that you're, you know, the, the greater goal is, is ahead of you. It's very much a jam tomorrow scenario. So, you know, there's not, there's not the big insurance salaries that, that are out there in, in a startup or don't tend to be a startup scale up. There's also nowhere to hide. There's absolutely nowhere to hide. So you've got to really back yourself, uh, cause it's quite a vulnerable place to be a startup. Uh, and certainly when I arrived before we landed the, the, the bigger investment, you know, you're running on a tight time clock all the time in terms of runway. And it's something that I certainly struggled with at the outset. Now, now I'm more relaxed about it, strangely, because I'm kind of more used to it. Um, and, and now we've landed our big investment and we have such a clear plan about what we're delivering. Um, I, I'm much happier with it, but but I'd be lying if I said I didn't struggle at the outset about going from something big and solid and, you know, know knowing that it's got plenty of runway to, to Nimbler, which
which was in a much more vulnerable place then. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. Having been both sides of the fence and having talked um, to a lot of early stage entrepreneurs, I, I always give them a warning about the intensity, as I call it, because because it, it can at points be incredibly intense. And you really feel that if you're a bit short of money and you've just lost a contract that you thought you were going to get. My summary was always be that good days are really, really good days when you're running your own business, but bad days can be really, really dark. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, I, and I think one of the, just to build on that, a lot of our partners are much bigger than us. And so move at a very different pace to us. And there is a frustration around that, I suppose. But we're getting way better at understanding and navigating these businesses to try and speed them up to, to get them not moving as fast as us, but certainly moving faster. But like you say, if you, you can work very hard on something that might not come off in the timescale that you want it to. And that's, that can be frustrating. But we have tremendous partners and, and they uh, they back us and we can make such a difference to them. And I think once once they've really got their head around that, that that's when we really see the acceleration. Let's talk about them for, for a while, because you guys are a per invoice financing business. You've been around since 2016 when Fleming um, formed the business. And then, you know, you really uh, caught the eye back in the end of last year when you raised 6.9 million. Tell us about that. Why particularly those investors and, and where are you going to spend that $6.9 million other than giving yourselves proper salaries at long last? The biggest thing we will be investing in this year is our user experience because we've got the technology, we've got the risk algorithm, which is super and pr- produces fantastic results from a loss ratio point of view. Um, so it, it, it really is doing its job in, in looking ahead and working out what is a good risk. And we have this wonderful short tail of sort of 30 days, 60 days, which is which is fantastic. Um, so really, it's how the users interface with us. That's going to be the next big challenge for us. And in cracking that, I believe that that will absolutely catapult us ahead because the traditional product it is still quite cumbersome. It is still very paper based. Uh, there's a lot of to fro on email and weeks to get decisions. Um, if we can speed that up, which we do uh, dramatically and improve the u- user experience at the front end on, on the direct side um, and in the embedded side, that's a very, very exciting place for Nimbler to be. I want to talk to you about embedded because people like me have the luxury of being able to uh, right, in theory, about it. But I don't work on the front line. Is it easy? Is it tough? Are, are, are there partners who, you know, who get it? What's it really like? Well, I think if it was easy, everybody would be doing it by now. So the answer is no, it's not. Um, and we deal with lots of different partners who are in different journeys in terms of their technology um, strategies. So if you're working up with reasonably new companies who are who are tech adopted from day one, it's incredibly easy to embed yourselves into them because they've got a very similar mindset to you. They've got technology people on their end who understand what we're trying to do. The more um, traditional markets haven't built themselves as a tech company. So uh, it's it's harder to get the uh, embedded piece there. Um, but again, as I alluded to earlier, once they've got it and they've got the right people on their end, they've got the right technology people and product people on their end, that's when the magic starts to happen. The promise of it all at the end of them being able to be faster and easier and better is uh, is very compelling. Um, but no, it's not easy. We're very reliant on on the partners being good at their end. 
we're great at what we do, but if, if they can't embed it there and then that can cause some friction, it can cause um, time delays. But it's like all things, Robin, we're just getting better and better at managing that process and identifying the, the quality of the technology on the other side when we speak to our speak to our customers. So it's um, it's not easy, but uh, we make it as easy as possible. I think one of the conclusions we drew from our report was that if you haven't got the right tech, you, you do lock yourself out of this opportunity. It becomes much, much more difficult to work in the way that you've just described if, if you haven't got the right tech. Another announcement in the last month or so was your tie-up with Accelerant, which is another business that we are great fans of. So that was a five-year capacity deal. Why particularly Accelerant, do you think? They're such a great fit for us. Uh, They are incredibly ambitious. They get what we're doing. Um, It's funny when you're going through the capacity sort of circus, if you like, you know very quickly who gets what you're doing because they ask the right questions. Maybe you don't want them to ask those questions, but <laughs> they ask the right ones and you're like, okay, you're, you're on to us. You know what we're doing. You understand what we're doing. And the nice thing about Accelerant is that they kind of ask the right questions. We answer them well. They back the management team, which why wouldn't you with Nimbus? We've got an ex- incredibly experienced management team and they don't micromanage us. A lot of MGA capacity providers are in the habit of really digging everything up and going over it and um, and trying to understand it. And when you're looking at risk algorithms, you, you need data scientists and actuaries on the other side understanding it. You know, a risk, a risk underwriter might not be might not be the right person. So sometimes we found ourselves going into conversations that that by their very nature they just weren't going to they weren't going to close. Accelerant came in, saw what we were doing very quickly decided this is something we want to back. And we closed it in like four weeks. It was, uh, you know, it was so fast when our previous experience has been like eight, nine months of going going through. So they work at the same speed as us. They're very ambitious. They, they've just had a big capital injection. So um, they're there for the long term. Um, and they're, they're, they're prepared to back us for five years, which gives us this peace of mind that we can set nice long term strategy and we're not on this annual cycle of um, performance, if you like. Um, and you know, you know, I've just said it takes eight months sometimes to get capacity. So once you've closed it, you're basically starting the conversations to start again. It distracts you from running the business and from setting the strategy and getting the products out the door and making sure that that revenue is coming in. So um, it's wonderful that we've got a partner who's just said, OK, we're here for five years. You go and get on with the business. So we couldn't be happier. Well, that's a story to gladden the heart, really. I mean, uh, again, in, in advising early stage businesses, I, I, I prepare them for how long it's going to take, you know, both to raise money, which we talked about earlier, but, but, yeah. but to get the capacity if you're an MGA. And I mean, you know, there are horror stories out there. Well, you know, eight months. Well, I was telling people to prepare for a year. Uh, and that's the first time I've heard of somebody uh, organise themselves so quickly. So, so uh, that'll be a story that that um, we'll, we'll we'll turn ahead or two, I'm sure. Yeah, I think there needs to be a shout out to to Simon Hammond there, who's the CFO in the organisation, because he ran a brilliant data room. It was so organised and it was so easy to navigate your way around it. So by the time it got to Accelerant, a lot of their work was done. Yeah. So it shows what a grown up MGA we are. We're not just throwing 
throwing documents in the hopper and hoping somebody on the other side will will catch them and sort them out. We basically presented it to them on, on a platter or other. Simon did and this fantastic job. So they were able to get through it very quickly. And the Belgian regulator moved so swiftly, we we, <laughs> we fell off our chairs because that doesn't happen very often. So everything came together very well. That's you um, in, in, in the day job. And it sounds to me like that would keep you um, busy enough. But, but then I see from LinkedIn that you're also on the boards of Gallagher. People will know who they are, but, but, but for those who don't, but Gallagher, a very big broker, Fidelius and Insurer. And then you're the co-founder of um, a women's network, Lift As You Climb. T- tell me about Lift As You Climb. So Lift As You Climb started at around 2016, probably about the same time as Nimbler, actually. And uh, a good friend of mine and I were really fed up with the way that networking events were run for women. Um, uh, when we went to these events separately, um, you would tend to find that women were the same age. You tend to find that the women you met were pretty much the same social strata as you. Um, they were probably earning about the same money as you. They were probably in the same industry as you. They were probably the same color as you. So there was really no, there wasn't really a lot of learning going on. And networking is not just about how to climb ladders or find ways to climb ladders. For us, it was much more around how do we share experiences between people across generations and across industries. Women's careers are much more like lattices than ladders. So you, you tend, you often find that they will, they will move across industry. They won't necessarily just, just move up like a ladder where men traditionally, that's how their careers work. It's really important that there's a broad base that their network sits on. So we came up with Lift As You Climb. We started it. We, our first event was in a pub in Soho in a, in a, in a back room. We had about 30 people. And now our events run sort of 120, 130 people at a time and we get the most fantastic speakers in. And just coming off that, we've just launched Rise, which is our mentoring scheme, which which actually uses an algorithm to match mentors and mentees together. Because the single biggest game changer for women is getting a great mentor. And if they're able to do that, then their careers really do take often quite in, more interesting turns and can often take off more because they are talking to people who've done it before. You can't be what you can't see, they say. So what we've done with Rise is we um, we have corporate sponsorship where they buy give one, get one. So they're able to get a space for their high potential women and then they give a space to um to women who don't have so much opportunity as as others and are able to access this fantastic network where uh, they can they can bring themselves in and ask and find somebody who can help them to get to the next stage in their career. It's really very special. Very proud of it. You should be. That's a fantastic story. Do you do joint ventures? You know, we're, we we were, honestly, I promise you this. We had a discussion about almost exactly that this morning and who we would talk to. We don't feel we can do it on our own, but we feel that other people do important parts of what we would like to achieve in insurance. And the way to do it was to talk to other people who, who could bring things that we couldn't bring. So um, on the private channel, you can expect an email after this. Um, <laughs> Great. Look forward to it. So you've got a broker there. You've got a, an insurer. You've got a really exciting um, women's network. Do you bring any of the things that you do there to your job at Nimbler or are they very separate things? 
No, not separate at all. Not separate at all. I'm incredibly curious. Um, and being on these two boards, and I'm so privileged to be there with these incredibly high performing teams and these big businesses um, and, and, and different businesses. You know, the broking business is probably a simpler model. It is a simpler model. I think they would say that themselves. The insurance companies are very, very complicated businesses and the, the capital allocation and the solvency too and the PRA and the SCA and, and, and all the complexity around that has been has been a fantastic learning for me. And I've been able to take some of that back to to nimbler when i'm looking at you know constructing the various capacity pieces that, that that we're looking at at the moment syndicate in a box is something that we're looking at we're looking at um starting our own captive so all of those things i i can take snippets and golden nuggets from from, from those meetings and i think what i'm able to bring to them is is just a, a bit more of an independent view because i'm not entrenched in in the market anymore i'm i sit in a, in a slightly different place and certainly in a technology space and i'm able to interrogate that that technology side more than possibly other board members could because they're, they're more sort of audit focused or capital focused they're both very, very different animals, um, but I, I learn an awful lot from them. I can take some bits to Nimbler because, you know, if somebody's doing something really, really well, what's the point of um, reinventing a wheel? You can you can take an idea and adapt it and, and, and adopt it into the business. But remember, Nimbler is a much, much smaller business than these businesses. But that, that doesn't mean that there's not great ideas, particularly operationally. That, that's that's definitely somewhere where I've where I've learned how to do it very well. Um, and adopt some of those things over to Nimbler. Hi, Rebecca here, the Director of Research and Insight at Instech. An increasing number of companies are now successfully deploying technology to support the review, assessment and settlement of claims remotely. And these are being used by 50% of the top global insurance carriers. Our latest report, Property Remote Claims Assessment, the 40 Companies to Watch, is out. The report details the drivers and development of remote claims technology. We also dive into the offerings of 40 companies in the remote claims space with extended write-ups for those companies we know well and have been working closely with as Instech members. The report is free to members and we have an early bird offer available for non-members until the end of April. For more information, visit instech.london forward slash remote. What were you hoping to um, learn when you became joined the board of the Women's Football Association? So you, so you must have had a was that a grand plan or an accident? It's a bit of a long story, but I'm going to tell you. I was on a female leadership course and Baroness Campbell, Sue Campbell, came in to speak to us. And we, we had a lot of people coming in to speak to us. It was over a year and we were very privileged. We had everybody from sort of Stuart Rose to, to Baroness Campbell, incredible people. But often their stories were I went to university and then I went to Harvard or I went to Oxford and then I did this and I did that. And I couldn't really identify with them because I dropped out of university at, you know, very, very early on, hadn't done my degree and, and, and took a, took a very different path. And then Sue Campbell arrives and she started as a PE teacher and has always loved the power of sport. And the way she talks about it is absolutely remarkable and compelling. And at the time when I was at Aon, we were sponsoring the women's rugby and saying, OK, how can we how can we help the female rugby players once they finish playing rugby? And I, I rather bravely phoned Sue Campbell up because I had her number and said, oh, I'd love to come speak to you about 
you know, what you do in football and, and, and business and how, and how the players' careers um, evolve and what, what happens after they stop playing football. So she said, yes, come to the House of Lords. So I went for tea. She um, told me that there was a space open on the board and what I think about applying. And I said, um, I don't know anything about football. And uh, she said, good, because she's got a lot of people who know about football. So that, that wasn't a skill that was necessarily required. And I applied to get the gig along with another another woman. And the point I think I want to make about the women's FA is it's not just about winning the World Cup or winning the Euros. It's about making social change for girls, because if you can keep girls in sport, they will have better outcomes. They will be less likely to self-harm. They will have better relationships. They will feed themselves better. So it's it's about social change that she talks about rather than just how to win at football. And what they've done, particularly in the last decade, is absolutely phenomenal around around women's football. It's now on the radar. But what they're doing, looking after that player from the little four or five year old who arrives on the pitch all the way up to walking football for 70, 80, 90 year olds. They're looking at the player pathway all the way through and saying, Anybody can play football and we will make sure that you can. And when I think about the workplace that I'm creating, I've got my players and it's my responsibility to look after them and make sure that they are they're learning and um, that that they are in a mentally and physically good place. And that as and when they leave Nimbler, which they will, that they're they're prepared to, to go off and do new things. So it's one of the things I love the most about my working life. You know, at my age, you're starting to think, um, has the insure tech world seen enough of me? Um, <laughs> and then I saw that at one of your Lift As You Climb events, you were joined by Dame Mary Marsh. Um, mm. and she's been working for 60 years. <laughs> Tell me about that, because I found that's a very inspirational story as well. Very inspirational story. Um, again, she, she started as a teacher, a deputy head teacher. Uh, she then took some time off to have her family um, and then went back and ended up being the, the chief executive of the NSPCC. She's on the board of HSBC. You know, she's she's had this remarkable career, six decades of working. And she's been working very closely with the London Business School about a topic they talk about. That's the hundred year life. You know, we're all living longer and the careers are no longer going to be that, that three stage, which is you know, education, career and retirement. There's going to be a much more different model that that people will adopt because we're going to be living and working for so much longer. So people won't necessarily stay in the same career, for example, uh, which she hasn't. You know, she's she's definitely moved around her careers. And I think the and the other thing to to think about is the caring generation, which um, you know, kind of I'm in now, I suppose. So you've got children on the one side, and then you've got elderly parents on the other side. And if those elderly parents are living longer. You could have a, a longer time that you've got to be in that caring generation. So that the impact is quite profound of this uh, longevity of life. Well, there's an insurance aspect of that, too, of course, mm. um, which we, we, we'll have to save for a podcast in, an, in another day. Yeah. Um, well, you do keep some extraordinary company. Uh, and and I, I really picked up on, on your um, point about being curious, because I think it's the core to living an interesting life i think if you're curious then you read a lot and you meet you're interested in meeting people you eat in weird and wonderful restaurants and you can have a broader richer life and i and i see i can see your 
you're a living example, you know, of a, of a, of a curious person. Thank you for joining us. The other thing I would say quickly before I sign off is, is I did pick up on there that you must be having a little look at the captive syndicate in a box world. And, and we have coming up on the 29th of March, an event around how to turn your MGA into a full stack insurance company. And there will be things which I'm sure you can learn uh, if you come along. Great. Look forward to seeing you there. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Well, thank you for making it all the way to the end. And if you haven't already discovered it, everything you want to know about us and what we're seeing is available on the website, www.instec.co. Look out for future events. We're back up next in London for the evening of 24th of May. That's it for today.